If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word from the book of Acts. And I'll just read selections from chapter 2 of Acts. You may follow along in your worship order. But hear the word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday. It marks 50 days since the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It's 10 days since the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And it is on this day that the church commemorates and celebrates the Father and Son pouring out the Holy Spirit on all flesh. In other words, they are the ones who sent the Holy Spirit into the world on mission to the ends of the earth. 
Now, some of you wouldn't remember this, but I'll remind you of it, that many years ago, in fact, it was my very first Sunday preaching as the minister of this church. I preached from Acts 2. It was the day of Pentecost that year. And the title of my sermon was Embracing the Pentecostal Spirit. In those days, I tried to be a little bit more provocative and edgy, and, and it got a lot of attention. People said, what do you mean, the Pentecostal spirit? We're not Pentecostal. We don't want to be Pentecostal. To which I say, we're all Pentecostal. In the biblical sense, we're all Pentecostal Christians because we all live in the power of the Spirit who was poured out upon all flesh. Well, as I said many years ago, I want to echo today that we need to embrace the Pentecostal spirit, not Pentecostalism and not charismatic things necessarily, but the Pentecostal spirit, the spirit who was poured out on all flesh for the sake of God's people on the day of Pentecost. And we must embrace this spirit for this is the gift that the father and son have offered to us. But it wasn't always this way. I want us to take a moment to backtrack and look at the backstory of Scripture and then make our way forward to the day of Pentecost as we see how throughout the years, God hadn't, had not always poured out His Spirit. There are, throughout the Old Testament, trickles and drips and hints that the Holy Spirit would come but it was only on the day of Pentecost that the Spirit was finally outpoured entirely and completely. But prior to that, if you go back to the beginning and just listen and track along with me, you'll hear this story unfold. That in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. And it was the Spirit of God who brought light out of darkness and order out of chaos. It was the Spirit of God who took things that were empty and filled them up with life. When God made man in His image and likeness and formed him out of the dust of the ground, He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and God gave to man a portion of His Spirit and man became a living being. Even after man was driven from the presence of God out of the Garden of Eden because of man's sin, the Spirit of God continued to wrestle with man, contend with him, strive with him. Until you come to a story in the history of the world, which is very sad, a story in which God looks upon the violence and the corruption of men. And he sees the way people were mistreating each other. And filling the world with blood. He's grieved that he even made man in the first place. And he says. My spirit will not contend with man forever. My spirit will not strive with man forever. His days will be 120 years. And that was the time when God determined to bring about a flood and to wipe out mankind from the face of the earth. And yet he had mercy on one family and on many animals. He preserved them safe and alive in an ark. And it is from that ark that a dove was sent forth 
to find land, to find a safe place to rest. And the dove finally returns with an olive branch in its mouth. A sign and symbol of the Holy Spirit going out to prepare a way for the people of God. You fast forward in the story and you see that God's spirit began to move in the world and move among God's chosen people little by little and then more by more. He gave some of them visions and dreams. He gave others wisdom and power. He led people out of slavery into freedom from death to life. The Spirit gave them the law of God and provided manna and water for the people of God on their exodus journey through the wilderness. And He led them by the hand through that wasteland, leading them with a glorious pillar of fire and cloud. The Spirit came upon elders and they prophesied. The Spirit came upon kings and they ruled. He came upon craftsmen and they built the tabernacle. He came upon judges and they delivered God's people from their enemies. He came upon prophets and they spoke the truth of God. In all of these things, you see the Spirit of God moving and breathing in the world and among God's people. It is the Spirit of God who was sustaining them in all of their trials and tribulations. But the thing the prophets remind us of as they preach God's Word is that God desired a true and better communion with His people. A true and better fellowship with His people. And so he promised to do even more. And so he spoke by the prophets and he made his promises known to them. And I want to give you a flavor of what God was promising through the prophets. And keep in mind that this didn't come out all in just one year. This came out over the course of many hundreds of years as God moved towards his people and reminded them of how he loved them and wanted to pursue a truer and better relationship with them. God spoke through through the prophet Isaiah and promised, I will pour water on the thirsty land. And streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring. And my blessing will be upon your descendants. And later God spoke through Ezekiel the prophet. And promised I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone. And put within you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then God promised in Zechariah 12. Thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. And finally, God promised in Joel, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
your sons and your daughters, your old and your young, even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my flesh, out my spirit on all flesh. And so I say all of that to give you a backdrop for what happens on the day of Pentecost. In the context, these people who have gathered for worship, they've been in Jerusalem now for over a month, for 50 days. These are people who have witnessed, many of them had witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. As God said through Zechariah, they looked on Jesus, on the one whom they had pierced. Some of them are grieving over that. Some of them not yet grieving over it. But by the end of Peter's sermon on Pentecost, they are saying, brothers, what shall we do? And he calls them to repent. Their hearts have been cut. They are feeling the bitterness and the remorse of gazing upon the God man whom they had pierced. But there's a promise associated with that. And the promise is God will pour out his spirit, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy upon those who pierced the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind that what these folks have been doing, the ones we're reading about in Acts 2, what they've been doing for the last 10 days is hoping and waiting that God would come and do something. That God would come and do something, perhaps restore the fallen kingdom. They are devoting themselves to prayer. They are expecting God to keep his promises. When all of a sudden, the upper room in which they were praying becomes like the holy mountain where Moses and Elijah once stood. There's a violent storm, a great and mighty wind blows, and it's followed by fire. And the Spirit of the Lord is in that storm. This storm, generated by the Lord God, gets the attention not only of this congregation who is gathered in prayer, but gets the attention of people on the outside looking in. The Spirit shone light in their darkness and filled their hearts and Gave them new life. Fifty days after the crucifixion of Jesus. Ten days after the ascension of Jesus. The Father and the Son pour out the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Lord and giver of life. The promise maker is now seen as the promise keeper. The curse of Babel. Where all the languages were confused. The curse of Babel is reversed by the blessing of Pentecost, where each one hears the apostles speaking in his own language. What Moses once desired, Jesus now delivers. Once upon a time, Moses said to some men, don't be jealous for me. I would to God that all of God's people could prophesy that all of God's people had the spirit. And now we see the Lord putting his spirit on all his people, not a few, but many, not on prophets, priests and kings only, but also on laymen 
And not on men only, but also on women. And not on the adults only, but also on children. And not on the elderly only, but also on nursing infants. And not on the wealthy only, but also on the poor. Not on the free only, but also on the slaves. And what do they do now that they've received this gift of the Holy Spirit? They began to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and praise the glory of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the response of God's people who receive the gift of the Spirit. But there is a mixed response outside that among the people out in the community. And this is often the case when God begins to work and to establish new things and to stir people up. There's always a mixed response. You have some who love it, others who hate it. And there's very little middle ground in between. Everyone here is amazed and perplexed. Amazed and perplexed. They don't know how to feel or how to think about this. Some are curious and wonder, what does this mean? And others are cynical and wave it off and say, no, they're just drunk. They're out of their minds. They, they're filled with new wine. In other words, they've been partying too hard and they can't speak clearly. That's why they sound like they do. But like these people, few of us, If any of us know what to do with the Holy Spirit, we struggle to understand the person and work of the Spirit. Several years ago, I was working in a church among some dear brothers who happened to be very confused about the Holy Spirit. Their view was actually something like this, that they believed Though they would never say it this way, but it was as if they believed in Father, Son, and Holy Bible. For them, the Holy Spirit was not present in the church. In fact, one man met with me several times to talk me off of the ledge because he was concerned that I believed in the person and work of the Holy Spirit and the personal indwelling of the Spirit. And he argued and tried to make a case for me that once the Bible was completed, the Holy Spirit went away back into heaven and just left us his testimony and witness in the scriptures. He was so wrong. He was so off to reject that gift that God had given. On another occasion, I was in a conversation with a man who was an elder in our church. And I was very curious about the Holy Spirit because I came from a tradition that never talked about the Holy Spirit. And so I was reading a lot of things and trying to piece things together in the scriptures. And this man stopped by my office and said, hey, what are you up to these days? And I was so excited to tell him. I'm, I'm learning about the Holy Spirit. I'm coming to know something about the Holy Spirit. And before I could finish any of that, he said, too deep for me. That's too deep for me. And then he shut my office door and left. Now, he might have just been in a hurry. But it was a strange response, nonetheless. So I don't want us to be too harsh on the, on the crowds who said they are filled with new wine or we, we don't know what this means because we live among people and we might have even been this kind of person at some time who would say those kinds of things. In response to these crazy responses, the Apostle Peter explains, no, this is what was uttered through 
the prophet Joel. Now, I got to point out something here. Let me take 30 seconds to point this out. You notice you have the Apostle Peter preaching under the inspiration and influence of the Holy Spirit. And what does he do under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He goes back to the Word of God. And he cites book, chapter, verse. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And the reason I mention that to you is to help nudge you towards this notion, equip you a little bit, so that you can defend yourself against those who like to pit word against spirit, spirit against word, as if you have to choose one or the other. Now, the Apostle Peter goes back to the word of God. And he says, what you're experiencing, what you're seeing and hearing, what's happening around you is rooted and grounded in what the Spirit of God said to the prophets. And so you see consistency and unity between the Spirit and the Word of God. For this is the sword of the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter is simply pointing out that what Joel had predicted by influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit is what is unfolding before your eyes at this time. So Peter references Joel and he just gives us a little snippet here. But if you were to go back into Joel and read that little book in the Old Testament, you would learn that Peter had much more in mind than just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The context of that is that God had said to his people, through the prophet Joel, that in the last days, he was going to call a solemn assembly and gather the people together and consecrate the congregation and, get this, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. In other words, no one is exempt from this solemn gathering All of God's people are required to be there, no matter how old or how young they are. It didn't matter if you were a newlywed or if you'd been married a long time or if you were single. You can read all of that in Joel chapter 2. And Peter is saying, look, this is what God had promised to do. And this assembly, this gathering on Pentecost that we see happening today, this is the thing that God promised he would do. This is the called meeting at which God promised that he would pour out the Holy Spirit on all his people. And that is why when you get to the end of Peter's sermon, after he was interrupted by people in the crowd who were saying, brothers, what must we do? That is why he concluded his sermon by saying, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And you see the result of that is 3,000 souls were baptized with water. Now if you're baptizing men, women, and children, the elderly and the nursing infant, it's easy to get to 3,000 people, which is what they did. So just as Moses through the blood of the covenant on the people at the first Pentecost. So now you have Peter and the apostles throwing the waters of the new covenant on men, women, and children at the last 
Pentecost. And this is consistent with what God had promised through the prophets up to this time when he said to Isaiah, the servant of the Lord shall sprinkle many nations. And he said through Ezekiel, the prophet, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean and I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, notice Peter said that everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Who are these people? Who is the everyone he has in mind? It is the Jew who was gathered in Jerusalem. It's the elderly, the nursing infant. It's the men and women. It's the free and the slave who heard these things. But beyond that, it's the Gentiles like us, non-Jewish people. Those of us who are far away. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. How does God call us to himself? Well, God calls us to himself by his word and by his spirit. And when the spirit and word of Christ do their proper work in you, the foreskin of your heart is circumcised. It's cut off. The dead rock in you becomes living flesh. When you respond to the Spirit's gracious work in your life, you begin asking questions like, what must we do? What can I change? How do I turn from my old way of life to a new way of life? How do I get shed of my old selfish identity and take on a new identity in Christ? You begin to ask questions. But you also join the company of those who are marked out with the sign of the new exodus. You come through the water of baptism to leave behind slavery and sin and to find a new way to freedom and life in the spirit of Christ. When you respond to the Spirit's gracious work, you recognize your truest and deepest problem is sin, the sin dwelling in you that's wrecking your heart and your life. But you also discover that your truest and deepest need is a Savior. The Savior whose grace is greater than all your sin. And it's then that you call on the name of the Lord. And as the Spirit says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you respond to the Spirit's gracious work in your life, you mark a distinction between yourself and the crooked generation in which you live. You follow the Holy Spirit out of sin and death into righteousness and life in Christ. And when you respond to the Spirit's gracious work, you find rest for your soul in the gift of love which the Father and the Son have poured out within your hearts. In the late 1990s, I was living in a small farming town. This was in the days when the internet was brand new and I had terrible connection and there wasn't much to see in those days anyway. I just had a few books 
at my disposal, and somehow I became a member of the InterVarsity Press book club where once a month a couple of books would show up at my house. Books that I didn't necessarily pick, they would select them and send them my way. And in the late 1990s, around 1997, I received a book by a man named Sinclair Ferguson called The Holy Spirit. And I read the book through twice. I loved it. It taught me so much about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It led me to Christ. It gave me a new way of looking at things. I had no way of knowing in those days that if we fast forwarded a few years, I would be sitting at his feet in seminary. In 2010, in the fall, I was given uh, the charge of driving him from our seminary to his hotel room at the end of our classes one evening. And I was giddy. I was beside myself. I was, I was starstruck because I was going to drive this professor who had written a book that I loved so much back to his hotel room, and I would have 30 minutes to talk to him. What would I say? And I said a bunch of silly things that you always say when you're starstruck, right? But one of the things I said to him is, Dr. Ferguson, I read your book years ago. It showed up. I don't know how it got there. In God's providence. And I believe I was a Christian before I read your book. That's what I told him. I believe I was a Christian before I read your book. But after I read your book, I knew I was a Christian. I knew I was a Christian. Not because of Dr. Ferguson, but because of what he opened up in the Scriptures about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you might be wrestling with this and you wonder, am I really a Christian? I don't feel much of the presence of the Spirit in my life. I don't see the kinds of changes I want to make. Maybe you have some doubts about that. Okay. Well, I mean, join the club. We all wrestle with that. Uh, We all wrestle with those things. But if you want to come to know, if you want to come and rest and to find assurance of salvation, you won't get it just by learning more, having more data in your head. But you will learn it by following the Spirit's lead. Because the central thing the Holy Spirit does from the day of Pentecost till today is He takes the people of God and He centers them on the Lord Jesus Christ. And He makes much of Jesus. And He says, look at Him. Look what He's done for you. Look who He is. He is the Lord and the Christ. He is your Savior. And He reminds you of what Christ has done for you. He reminds you again and again that your performance will never be enough, but Christ's performance is more than enough. And He reminds you that your flesh is weak and cannot But he is strong and he can. And so I hope you find assurance and hope in your knowledge and understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you see that the story of the Bible is the story of the promise maker who is also the promise keeper. And it is that story that shapes your life by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit.